Amen. Good morning, family. I think maybe Pastor John needs to preach today. That's what I think. You might be next on the list. (laughs) That was awesome. But God is good. God is great and mighty. God is gracious. And God is glorious. We've come here to worship Him, to think of Him, remind ourselves of Him. Uh, If you would, grab your Bibles. I know you got them, so open your Bibles up to Judges 16. Judges 16. While you're turning to Judges 16, I just want to thank Scott for bringing the word last week to us. Um, Good job, Scott. We just thank you for how you serve us. And so today, this, this is a part three to kind of bring us up to speed. Part three on Samson's life. And so this me- message is basically a, a culmination of everything that we have been talking about the last couple of, couple of weeks. The death of, in the death of Samson, everything that we've noticed about him, everything we've seen in his life, is gonna, it's going to just get accentuated to the max. It's going to get brought right up to the surface and put right out in front of us. So with that said, um, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Judges 16, 23 to 31. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which this house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, family. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Lord, help us hide ourselves in you. Our identity, who we are, our worth would be in you. Please speak to us today. Please open up our ears to actually hear your voice today. Change what we want for we don't even know what we want. Thank you for loving us. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We all love a comeback story, do we not? We like those movies or those books, those storylines where the protagonist is, they're knocked down, but they're not out. They're down, but they're not out. They, they've made a mess of their life, but you know, in the end, they come back, they pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they reinvent themselves, they reinvent their career, and all is well. Or maybe they're rejected over and over and over, but due to their perseverance, they finally make the team roster. They fail over and over, but they learn from their mistakes, and they finally become the father that their kids can respect. We all love those comeback stories. I think the reason that we like these kinds of stories, part of it anyway, is that it kind of appeals to our ego, doesn't it? And don't we always identify with the protagonist, the, the, the hero of the story? We do. We do. We like thinking that we are the hero of our story. We like thinking that if we work hard enough, if we try hard enough, we can save ourselves from a, a meaningless life. But that's why, we need, that's why we need Samson. We need Samson to show us the folly of such thinking. Samson's lived life for himself ever since day one, and it's finally caught up with him. His, his self-centeredness, his cost him his freedom, his strength, his eyes, his dignity as a man. And he's now a form of entertainment for his enemies to gloat over. And this is going to be how he lives out the remainder of his days until he dies. This is his lot in life now. And, and we're reading this and we're thinking, okay, surely, surely now Samson is going to see the foolishness of living life for himself. Surely he's going to repent, he's going to call out to God to help him be the redeemer of God's people like he's supposed to be? Surely he's going to become this noble hero and he's going to die a noble death for his people, right? But no. Nope, Samson's not going to do that. <laughs> it's not going to turn out that way. Samson's going to be Samson all the way to the end. Samson's going to redeem himself from a meaningless, wasted life by dying for himself. So here's the big idea, guys. Samson is going to show us the folly of self-redemption and how only Jesus can save us. Samson is going to show you and I the folly of self-redemption and that only Jesus can save us. You, you see, there's this, this lie. The lie of self-redemption is this. The only way my life matters is if I'm the hero. The lie is that the only way my life matters is if I am the hero. You guys know that every year the NFL drafts rookies that look to have a promising football career. They, they, they come out and they have these great uh, scouting reports. Uh, they, they have great college stats. Some of them are Heisman Trophy winners. And, and some of them do make it in the NFL, but many of them are a bust for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's poor mechanics or it's a poor supporting cast or they've got underdeveloped ability. But the most common factor is that of self-centeredness. It is. Many a promising rookie goes bust in the NFL because they have to be the star of the team. They've got to make the most, say the, say the most, do the most. 
Uh, you know, just last year, ESPN named Aaron Curry. Does that name ring a bell for anybody? Adam Curry as the worst ever draft pick of the Seattle Seahawks. Back in 2009, Curry was the overall number four pick of the NFL draft, and his scouting report said, and I quote, there is not much that he can't do. Curry has the work ethic, the dedication, and tenacity teams covet in their first round picks. He is the complete package, close quote. But, you know, things didn't work out that way. Uh, Curry was traded in 2011 to the Raiders, and then shortly after that to the Giants. He was a draft bust after only four years. And, and you know what he said about all that? He said, I was selfish. That's what he said about that, how that worked out. Uh, he told the New York Times, I think earlier in my career I was real selfish and, get this, self-centered. I was more about me than the Seahawks. In an interview to Sports Illustrated, he said, I look back on it and I realize that I was a victim of having a motivation that wasn't everlasting. That's a curious word. I don't hear a lot of football players use the word everlasting, do you? I had a motivation that wasn't everlasting, that wasn't going to keep me going when things got hard. I had a goal that wasn't fulfilling. I went, I got exactly what I wanted, and as soon as I got it, I put it in my pocket, and I was like, oh, you guys need something else? Samson is kind of like an Adam Curry that went bust, except Samson never realized it. He never admitted that. If there was anyone who had such a promising career... If there was anyone that had such a promise of being the one, the chosen one that God would use to redeem his people, it was Samson. He had an unbelievable roster, right? Scouting report. He had a miraculous birth, unlike any of the other judges that we've studied. He had a divine calling from God. He had more blessings, more advantages, more power, more strength, more privilege, more everything than any other single individual man. And yet this one thing sabotages him to the, at the very end. Samson is incurably self-centered. Everything just revolves around him. And now we see here why he cannot ultimately save anyone else because he can't even save himself. He's his own worst enemy. Samson is, ba- I don't know if you guys know this, Samson's basically alone throughout the storyline of his life when you read it. Did you notice that? He's the main character of his story from birth till he breathes his last breath. I mean, people do, they, they briefly come into his story and they leave his story. They come onto the stage and then they walk right off the stage for a short amount of time. But Samson's always the main story on the stage or in the plot or in the action. It always centers around him and what he thinks and what he's doing. Samson reduces everyone else that comes into his life or leaves his life, including Almighty God, to a minor supporting cast role in his story. I mean, look at verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my Two eyes. Look at all the personal pronouns in this very short and final prayer that he prays. I, me, my. 
Samson finally cries out to God at the end of his life, but even his prayer reduces God to his personal butler that exists to serve his goal. Samson doesn't ask for strength so he can redeem Israel from from their bondage to their enemies. He doesn't ask for help so that he can redeem and vindicate the holy name of the Lord. He doesn't even apologize for making a mockery of God's name with his life among the pagan people, which he's done. At his lowest moment in life, when his back is against the wall, Samson asks God for strength so he, he can get personal revenge. And so that his enemies will not forget his name. That's how he's going to redeem his wasted life. They're going to remember my name. He's going to be the hero of his own story. You see this, guys? Do you see yourself at all in this? I do. I do. Brothers and sisters, we need to see just how deeply ingrained this desire to be the hero of our story is in our hearts. This is not just some like surface skin level thing we have. It goes all the way down to even when our back's against the wall. We all wrestle, maybe not today, but we all go through these times, we all go through these periods in life feeling that our lives are inconsequential. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, our lives don't really matter in the grand scheme of everything that's going on. We All these times, we're like, my life is inconsequential to what's actually happening in the greater world out there. At the end of the day, we don't want our life to be forgettable, and we're terrified that it might be forgettable. Whether that's the mom who's making her 150th peanut butter and jelly sandwich for her kid's lunch, or that's the young adult that's still trying to break into the career, but they're stuck right now working paycheck jobs, or it's the guy that drives the same road to work that he's been driving year after year, looking at the same sea of red tail lights night after night. We all have these times where we think this about our life. It is almost unbearable for us to live out a life that we believe is inconsequential. What difference does it make what I'm doing right now? And self-redemption claims to offer us a way out with this very sweet-sounding lie. If you want to be saved from a meaningless, forgettable life, if you want your life to really matter, then you need to put yourself at the center of your story. Pull yourself up by their bootstraps and they'll admire you. Take control of your destiny by making radical changes. Do daring things. Accomplish big things, even big things for God. Work harder than everyone else, and you'll be better than anyone else. And see, that'll be a life that'll inspire people, and they'll want to aspire to be like you. Be the epic hero of your story. Then your life will matter. Then you'll make a dent in the universe. Put your mark on the world. But where does this lead us? Have you tried that? Where does this lie lead us? It sounds good. Here it is. Being our own hero leads to death. Being our own hero leads to death. Look at the text, verse 29. 
And Samson grasped the middle two pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. Are you getting the picture? And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. This is his last words. Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell, up, the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. And so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. Oh, wouldn't that be great on your tombstone, huh? <laughs> Immortalized. Then his brothers and all his family came and picked up the pieces. His brothers and his family came down, they took him, they brought him up, and they buried him between Zoar and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had judged Israel 20 years. Which, by the way, that's a real short time in the book of Judges if you're keeping track of where we've been. What happens when Samson decides to redeem his life himself? He dies in the end. I know I'm being Captain Obvious, but let's not miss that. He dies in the end. Here's Samson's thinking. I'm not going to be stuck in this place for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be remembered as blind, weak, slave Samson that the Philistines brought down, got the best of, kicked me out of my job. I'm not going to be remembered as poor, blind, weak, slave Samson. I'm going to redeem my name. I'll be remembered as mighty Samson again. I'm going to be remembered as mighty Samson that struck such an epic blow to the Philistines that my name will echo throughout the ages. You ever thought that way? Even for half a second? Sure you have. Sure you have. And so what's he do? Samson grabs these middle two pillars of the, this big house that it's on with the outstretched hands and he, he bows to the ground. Boom! <laughs> He bows to the ground. He shouts out his last words, let me die with the Philistines. Takes down the entire building and kills thousands of people. It's an epic death, right? And all the bricks and all the stones that come down on him and all of his enemies and the smoke goes up and it's this big explosion. There's a big loud sound. You guys feeling it, smelling it, picturing it, hearing it? And that's how he goes down. Samson's ending is like the ending of every diehard movie you've ever seen, right? Where's the detonator's kids? And glass goes everywhere, and the lights flash, and the bad guys get blown up, right? Except in diehard movies, the self-made hero who's always alone, John McClane, right? He walks away from the explosions that he sets off. But Samson's not a movie. He's real life. You live in real life. You don't live in a movie. And in real life, self-made heroes die violently under rubble. That's what happens. Did you guys notice at the end of the story when we read through this, it's unlike the ending of all the other stories of the judges? There is no, and Israel had rest from their enemies for 40 years. Israel had rest from their enemies for 60, 80 years. Did you notice that's absent? Yes, yeah, Samson stuck it, struck a huge blow against the Philistines, but he did not destroy them. He did not give Israel 
ultimate rest from their enemies. He did exactly what the Lord had promised. He will begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But he did not bring life and peace and rest. He only brought death. Guys, being our own hero only brings death in the end, in some form or fashion. Working to redeem ourselves sounds like an awesome storyline, doesn't it? Especially when you're younger and you got all this energy and optimism. I can do that. It sounds like a very attractive storyline at first, but it turns out to be a crushing burden that crushes both our body and our soul. And some of you know that. You've, you're living that way right now. You've tried doing this, or you're trying to do this. Do you know why it's a crushing burden to our body and soul? Do you know why? It's because when it is up to us to carve out a life that matters, to, to make a life that's, that's not forgettable, we bear all the weight of whether that happens or not. That's on you and not someone else. You gotta make it happen, Captain. Right? That's the if it's meant to be, it's up to me mentality. You are burdened under that weight. You must carry it. Must carry it. We cannot let anyone get the better of us. Not even for a second. We can't let anyone get an advantage over us because that threatens our good name. No one wants to aspire to be someone who lost, right? We can always win. We can't handle people criticizing us because that threatens our name, our reputation. We can't fail at our career because that threatens our name. We can't fail at our marriage. We can't fail at a friendly game of golf because our name's riding on that. Everything matters. Everything's level 10. Everything's important. There is no degrees. It's up to you. It's up to me. And do you know what that means for us? It means that we have to work really hard to ensure that we either prevent or that we conquer any perceived threat to our reputation and name. We've got to deal with it. Punch, counterpunch. I'm not letting that slide because that'll just lead to something else and something else. I can't do that. We can't have that. Right? And that means that we always have to be vigilant. We've always got to be on. You can't have a, a day off. You can't miss a beat. Always have to be right. We always have to win. We always have to be first. And that is a life that ends up crushing us to death by exhaustion. Maybe not with stones, but with exhaustion. And you know people like that. We all tend to be people like that. And so here's the question. If, if trying to save our life, in trying to save our life, we only end up destroying it like Samson. If, if we cannot make our life matter by being the redeemer and the hero of it, then what do we do? What's the answer? Like, how do we redeem our life? How do we make our life count for something? Well, we give it away. We give it away to the one that Samson points us to. Jesus is the hero that we can trust to redeem our life. Jesus is the hero that we can trust to redeem our life. 
And Christians, as well as non-Christians, need to hear this all the time. The gospels for Christians and non-Christians alike. Jesus lays some deep wisdom on us in Mark 8, 35. He says in Mark 8, 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus tells us this. Hey, you want to preserve your life? You want to preserve your life? Then you need to give it away. That's the only open door. That's the only way this works. You really want to save your life? Then you must lose it. You must give up ultimate control over your destiny to me. So that's the my sake part, right? For me. You, you, you must give up ultimate authority over your life. Ultimate decision-making capacity. You need to give that up to me. Give that to me. You must stop trusting in yourself to make your life count, and you must trust me to make your life count. The way that you actually save your life is by completely losing your life to me and handing it over to me. Now, I don't know about you, but like we hear those words and we kind of pull back a little bit, don't we? We're like, whoa. <laughs> How about I just kind of like give my money to you, right? Or just give like my education to you. How about I just give part of my life to you? I could do that. I mean, this is a big ask, right? From Jesus, can we be honest? This is a big ask. He's asking a lot from you and I. Trust you with my entire life? Are you kidding me? My life is all I have, Jesus. That's all I got. You want, every, you go, you want all I have? Who are you to ask for all I have? Who does that? My life's all I have. It's the most valuable thing that I have. It's the most precious thing to me that I have, Jesus. Like, how do I know that you're going to take care of it? I'll take care of it because I know me. How do I know you're going to take care of it? You see, guys, we'll only give our life away to Jesus if we believe that he's good and that he loves us. And that's why Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. That's an important thing. Don't skip over that part. The gospel is what God has done for us, right? Through Jesus. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's what it is. Jesus is not asking you and I just to take him at his word, but he's inviting us. He's inviting us to look at his life so that we'll trust him with ours. This genius. And what has Jesus done with his life? Let's look at it. Because you see his life in the gospel. What has Jesus done with his life? If we're going to trust him with our life. Well, he is the true and better Samson. He's the Samson that we've all been wanting and needing and looking for. 
He is the hero that actually gave his life to save his enemies. Samson and Jesus, they have a lot in common. They are both miraculously born to women. And they're born of God. Both their births have a heavenly announcement. Both uh, have a calling on their life to be the redeemer of God's people. Both exercise mighty, supernatural power over nature and God's enemies. Both were mocked by their enemies and killed at a young age, one between two pillars, the other between two thieves. That's where the similarities end. Samson lived for himself, and he died for himself. But Jesus lived and died for us. In his final moments, Samson was thinking about himself and his name and his legacy and what he would leave. In Christ's final moment, he was thinking of you and me. Isn't that beautiful? You and me. You and me. We who are deeply, fatally self-centered. He was thinking of you and me. We who constantly live like we're the hero of the story. We know what's right and we know what's best. Jesus was thinking of you and me in the garden and on the cross when his hands were stretched out. In his final hours on this earth, Jesus did not pray, oh God, give me strength to avenge myself against my enemies for what they've done to me. No, he asked that God might give him the strength to forgive his enemies, for they know not what they're doing. Samson's last words were, let me die with my enemies. Jesus' last words were, let me die for my enemies. Isn't he wonderful? You guys know there's two ways to, de- to destroy your enemy, right? There's really two ways. One way is the traditional way, you kill them. But the other way is you destroy your enemy by turning them into your friend. That'll destroy an enemy. The text tells us that Samson destroyed more of his enemies in his death than in his life by bringing them death. Jesus destroyed more of his enemies in his death than in his life by giving them new life. It was his life. It was his life. It is by the death of Jesus that our constant self-centeredness is forgiven. It's washed clean. It is by his death that we are free from the crushing weight of trying to be our own hero, which we deserve. That's the penalty of trying to be your own hero. You get crushed to death. And it's by his death that we're freed from that. We escape out from under that. There's another door that's been opened. It's by his blood. Jesus has transformed former enemies of God into friends. Oh, who is like the Lord? When you see how much Christ sacrificed for someone so selfish, it, it wrecks you, does it not? Amen? 
It wrecks you. His love wrecks us. It makes you want to love him back. The, Christ of, the love of Christ compels you. That's what that means. I want to love someone who loves me that much. I can't help myself but love him. Look at Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still Samson's, <laughs> Christ died for, not himself, for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Whereas Samson's death only proved that he hated his enemies, Christ's sacrificial death on the cross proves that he loves his enemies. He loves his enemies. And there is no God like that. There is no God like that, family. And the cross says this, Jesus really is good. Jesus actually does love you. you can give your life away to him without hesitation. You can lose your life to Jesus without fear that he's going to mess it up and not know how to handle it. You don't have to build your life on your GPA. You don't have to build your life on how awesome your marriage looks. You don't have to build your life on your career achievements or how well your children turned out or the affection your spouse gives you or doesn't give you or what people think of you or your parents' approval. You're free. You don't have to build your life on those things. Build your life on the identity that Jesus gives to you. You are redeemed by Christ and you are loved by Christ. But you need to believe that in order for that to change you. So how do we change? How do we believe it? Well, you look at the gospel over and over, week after week, day after day. Look at the gospel and lose your life to Christ and let him save your life. I love you guys. Let's pray. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? <laughs> oh, yeah, how he loves you and me. Jesus, please forgive us for trying to be our own redeemer and trying to be the hero of our story. Forgive us of how self-centered we are. And Lord, thank you for coming and redeeming us, for taking that crushing weight upon yourself and giving us an identity that we don't have to work for. So Lord, I pray that you would free us from the lie, any one of us here that are believing the lie, that the only way our life matters is if, if we do something awesome. We'd be our own hero. Free us from the lie where we need to be freed. And show us the gospel right now by the Holy Spirit. Work this into our heart and how you gave your life for us.
because you loved us. And help us love you back. Help us lose our life to you. Help us continuously, day by day this week, give up our life to you, hand our life over to you, trust you with our life because we've seen, how, we've seen what you did with your life for us and we know you're good and we know that we can trust you. So help us trust you where it matters the most, where the cost is greatest. Help us right now trust you. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen.